Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I get paid to play football, which has been my dream since I was a little kid. So, you know, I wake up and my first thing is, hey, I have an opportunity to get better today. I have an opportunity to go, you know, train to play football today. Uh, and that's all I look at. it. I, I just wake up, I train, I, I hit it hard. And, you know, it's awesome. Like my wife and my dad actually throw me the football. Like I get, I get 100, 150 passes a day. So, you know, I'm just enjoying it, um, you know, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to worry about something that I can't control, but I'll be damned if I let it get the best of me. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to train, uh, you know, like I have guys competing for my job. That's 49ers tight end George Kittle from April on the PFTPM podcast talking about his efforts to keep in shape, keep motivated, and it takes no extra motivation for him. It's all internal. This is a guy who loves football. He loves everything about football. We're going to talk about him for the next few minutes because he's got a contract fight potentially looming with the 49ers. And by the way, this is the top of our number two of the program on this Monday edition of PFT Live. Um, We spent a lot of time last hour talking about the other issues going on in society with the murder of George Floyd, the reaction to it, the riots, the protests, the looting, everything. We addressed it from the NFL's perspective last hour. If you missed it, it'll re-air an hour from now. Uh, if you're watching the re-air and you missed it, we'll have the segment posted at profootballtalk.com. But uh, we, we, we want to focus on football as much as we can this hour, Chris. And I saw over the weekend the news that the 49ers and George Kittle are very far apart on their contract talks. And Kittle, who is the best tight end in football, or at least one of them, wants to be paid like a tackle or a receiver, not a tight end, because he believes he's more than that. And you know what? He's right. He is more than that. He shouldn't be pigeonholed by his position. He is a football player who brings so much more to the table than just the ability to block and run pass routes and catch passes that the team needs to acknowledge that. Because I think he's the heart and soul of that team. And uh, it's it's going to be very interesting if he draws a hard line because it doesn't mesh with this I love football mindset. You know, most guys who are like, I love football, they'll take whatever they can get to keep playing. George Kittle's finding a way to balance his love of football with the reality that he's going to get what he deserves. And if he doesn't get it from the 49ers, he'll get it from someone else. 
Well, okay, but I mean, I, I don't even, you know, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know what that means to a degree. You know, like when I see uh, George Kittle's agent make a statement, right? That what was it? I'm not, I'm not. I don't care about the tight end market. I'm being paid to do a George Kittle deal. I, I mean, okay, listen, George Kittle's the best tight end in football. I understand that. You know, I want to see George Kittle paid. There's no doubt about that. But what are we talking about? I don't understand. Like, is he is he going to do halftime performances now? He's an entertainer that way. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't like totally buy into this notion that. Hey, do I think he should be the highest paid tight end in the sport? Yes. Do I think he should transcend? You know, maybe to a degree the the tight end contract. Hey, okay, yes. Set the market, reset the market, whatever you want to say, but. I just don't understand, like, what, what kind of money are we talking about? Right now, Hunter Henry's leading the tight end market with, what, $10.9 million per year? I got that right, Mike? 10.6? So Under the franchise uh, tag. That's what the franchise tag Under the franchise tag, tag right. Austin, so obviously, Austin, Hooper, Austin Hooper signed a four-year, $42 million deal with Cleveland this year. That's the, that's the most valuable long-term deal right now. So it's, it's right in that range of a little over $10 million, $10.5 million-ish is where the tight end market is. But I'm surprised you're taking this position because I thought this would be right in your wheelhouse because one of the things you always complain about is yes. that there's a disproportionate amount of money that's paid to quarterbacks and other sure. players are more valuable. The Julio Jones holdout that finally culminated, and I don't know that he ever did hold out, but he finally got his contract. That unrest for Julio Jones as it relates to his contract began when Matt Ryan got to the $30 million per Definitely. year threshold and Julio Jones thinking, wait a minute, I made this guy. He didn't make me. I made him. Why right. am I getting 15 and he's getting 30? It's not right. It's not fair. So I thought, I thought this would be red meat for you. I thought you'd be all over this one well, saying, yeah, George, it doesn't matter. George Kittle's a tight end. He's important to the team. He gets that team going. He, he plays through injury. He sets an example. All the coach has to do is point to George Kittle and say, be like this guy. And Kyle Shanahan's job is a hell of a lot easier. There's value in all of that, Chris. There is. There is. There's value in all that. And, Mike, you know I am. I want to see him get paid. I do. And, you know, yes, like right now, the way we're sitting here, is Jimmy Garoppolo 14 times better than George Kittle? Absolutely freaking not. It's insane. The That's what's wrong with the quarterback market. But also I'm talking about in relativity to what the position is as far as the market and what he plays, and that's the tight end position. And listen, I understand, hey, George Kittle, you're right. He's kind of the lifeline of that offense. Part of the reason he's the lifeline of that offense, too, though, is because of the guy you just mentioned, Kyle Shanahan. You know, you know Kyle Shanahan puts George Kittle in a lot of positions to be the lifeline of that offense and be that go-to guy and do that. You know, so if you're George Kittle, too, you better be careful. You don't want to be like Jimmy Graham, who we all thought was the greatest tight end we'd ever seen, really, when he was with Sean Payton. And then he went to a few teams that didn't really know how to use him. And we went, whoa, he's pretty average. Or he's not nearly as special as we thought. So Kittle, awesome. Kittle, the best tight end in the sport. Kittle revolutionizing the position and all that. That's like why I feel like we're talking about here. Absolutely not. There's still a guy in the league right now, Rob Gronkowski, who is the same as George Kittle as far as personality and things like that. So I guess that's what I'm saying. I'm just asking you, Mike. I don't, what I'm saying is like, how much more are we talking about as compared to the market? I guess that's where I was confused by the comments and the overall uh, thought of what the agent was saying.
Well, I mean, receivers are up near $20 million, north of $20 million. Julio Jones' contract pays him $22 million a year. Left tackles are creeping up toward $20 million a year. I Look, the, he, here's the reality, and I think this is the deeper issue. First of all, I do think he's worth more than just saying he's the best tight end. I think there is inherent value. Give me, I'll, I'll give you this example. If there's no fans this year, we've already talked about this. Teams are going to need someone who kind of pulls the court on the lawnmower to get other players going when there isn't going to be 70,000 people out there that are naturally going to get the adrenaline flowing. George Kittle's that guy for the 49ers. He's the guy that runs through the brick wall and leads everyone else through behind him. And, and I think that just the mindset of that team benefits from having a George Kittle. And, and he's very talented. I mean, I wouldn't compare him to Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham was a, a, a pass-catching tight end that the Seahawks tried to make into a complete tight end. Kittle's a complete tight end. You put Kittle in the no. Seahawks offense, he'll be fine. You put him in any offense, he'll be fine because he does what a tight end does across the board. The problem with Graham is he's, he's a basketball player who catches no passes. No doubt about it. Don't, he's not going to block, so don't ask him to. Well, I, I, and, and I'm not arguing that. You're 100% right, Mike. All I'm just saying is part of what George Kittle is right now is also – because of the place he's in in San Francisco, and he's got, you know, without a doubt, the best offensive mind in the sport, and especially the offensive mind who knows to use the tight end just about as good as anybody uh, in Kyle Shanahan. So that adds to his value overall. And I'm not pushing back against, like, listen, I hear you. Do I think he should, you know, uh, reset the tight end market? Absolutely. But, like, I don't know if I'm going to put it into tackle or number one wide receiver type money. I'm not, you know, not when he's like, you know, he's, yes, he's better than Travis Kelsey sitting here going into the 2020 season, but it's not to like leaps and bounds where I'm like, whoa, it's not even close. No. And Travis Kelsey's making 9 million a year. Rob Gronkowski is the greatest tight end I've ever seen. He's got a lot of those same personality traits that George Kittle has. And he brought that to the new England Patriot team, you know, so all I'm saying is I just wonder where that number is, and that's what I'm pushing back. Like, to think that he should get $20 million a year to me, no, that's insane. Do I think he should get somewhere maybe in the 14 to $15 million range type of contract? Yes, I could see that. That's realistic for what he's doing and what he has done for that team to this point. And, of course, he's just hitting the prime of his career. And here's the reality. The 49ers have him under contract for this year at about $2.1 million. They would have to use the franchise tag next year. Now, the franchise tag this year, 10.6. That's what Hunter Henry is getting. There's a chance the salary cap goes down next year. We don't know. We won't know for a while where that number is going to be. The salary cap will drive the amount of the franchise tag for all positions, including tight end. It could go down. But let's just say it's 10.6. Let's just say it's the same right. next year. Okay. He gets 10.6 for 2021, and then he would be entitled – if they tag him a second time, he gets a 20% raise over that, which is $12.72 million. So it's about $22, 23000000 million for two years. And then in year three, that's where you get into the Kirk Cousins problem, where for a, a tight end, you're not going to give him quarterback money, which is what the tag is at the franchise level for the third year. You could do transition tag, which is another 20% raise, but it only gives you a right to match. It doesn't give you any compensation, or you just let him walk away as a free agent. So he's going to have to put in three more seasons before he gets to the point where he forces his way out. Now, now, Chris, here's the other side of the coin. If the 49ers are just never going to pay him, does he, does he do what Khalil Mack did and try to force a trade? 
And when you look at what the Bears gave up to get Khalil Mack and what they paid Khalil Mack, um, now, it was at the top of the market for his position, but you know, if there's another team out there that's willing to give the 49ers significant value in trade and also give Kittle 15, 16, 17 million a year, you know, I don't think we can at least rule that out for now. There's a chance that things go sideways and that maybe next year that there's a real fight over his value and uh, and maybe the possibility of the 49ers moving on from him and trading him and getting maximum value. Maybe that comes up if he really is determined and if his agent is determined to get uh, and I agree with you. He's not going to get top of the left tackle market money. He's not going right. to get top of the receiver market money. But but he may he may. And we say reset. I mean, when I think of resetting the market, I think of taking the bar and moving it up a peg. Exactly. It could be the kittle try. It could be the kittle tries to knock it up five pegs. That's what I'm talking about. That's where I, that's where I was pushing back against the notion. It almost seems like we we're talking about resetting the market by doubling the market was almost the kind of talk we were getting into there, which is like that's where I didn't quite understand that. I mean, you're right, Mike. You know, listen, you know, we'll, we'll see how George Kittle and his agent, how they price themselves out here. Uh, that's going to be the, the, the biggest issue that they have to come to. But, you know, just knowing my buddy Kyle Shanahan, you know, knowing John Lynch being around them, understanding what kind of guys they like for their football team. You and I both know, George Kittle, you said it. He fits right into the, the mantra of what the 49ers are. We were there in pregame. They got more psychos running around the field with high energy and just want to run through a wall. And George Kittle is, he's the leader of that group as far as that's concerned. And I think Shanahan and John Lynch know that. And I think they'll want to be fair for fair to him and pay him big time money and make him the highest tight end, uh, highest paid tight end in the history of the sport. But yeah, you know, all I'm saying is if Kittle and his cup and his, in his uh, group of people start to ask for, 18, 19 million dollars a year, eight, nine million dollars more than any other tight ends making, then that's going to cause some issues. And then, yes, we might start hearing about trade talks and things like that. I just respect the fact that George Kittle has found a way to compartmentalize two very different realities. His love of the sport, intense, passionate, would play for free if, but if if it was played for free but it's not yeah it's not played for free and people are earning a lot of money and he's going to get his and there is a way to maintain the two because i think you know i would have calculated him as a guy who'll just take whatever he can get right he's going to do a team friendly yeah. deal he doesn't care as long as i got enough money to live on i don't care i'm good i'm fine i just want to play football i i like it when a guy who has the ability and the passion and and everything that goes with being a great football player is also willing to be a business person and say, I want to be treated fairly and I, I, want, I, I want what I deserve. I, I hear that, Mike. And I, I, I'm not for a guy that's worked as hard as he does and puts his body in the line. I, I certainly don't want him to, you know, not get what he does deserve. And he is big time. He's awesome. All I'm saying is, you know, hey, go for the kill as far as the contract's concerned. Don't go for the slaughter. That's to me. That's when you ruin the football team. You know, and that's just as, as an ex-player and a guy that if I was still playing, I would still have that, that mindset. You know, I look at a guy like Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, you know, he probably could have got more money out of New England. But, you know, within doing that, okay, he took some team-friendly numbers and everything like that. But what did it do? I don't know. You tell me, Mike, what was the greater good? He stayed very relevant because his team was always in the playoffs, always in big games. He's associated with Super Bowls and championships because he took a little bit of less of that. And then 
that made him more of a household name to now he's what selling CBD products. He's doing WWE. He was on Fox, you know, pregame show. Now he's back in the NFL. So there is some worth there as far as not always going for the slaughter and maybe just going for the kill as far as the, the, the money is concerned in the contract. I disagree with your premise on Gronkowski. He didn't take less. He took what he could get when he could get it. Two years into the NFL, a guy with a history of serious injury, a guy who plunged out around one because of a back problem that knocked him out for his final year at Arizona. He was drafted in 2010, the last year before the current CBA, when you could re-sign a draft pick after two seasons. So after two seasons, the Patriots came in. They made him an offer he couldn't refuse at the time that included numbers in the out years that aren't going to be all that good, but he took what he could get when he could get it. He didn't do a team-friendly deal. Tom Brady did a team-friendly deal. He did multiple team-friendly deals. Gronk did a deal where he took the bird in the hand versus waiting for the two in the bush. But uh, I, I get your point. There are other ways He's, you can make your way. There are other ways right. you can make your name. There are other ways you can gotcha. make your money beyond getting every last penny from the team under the salary cap. That's all I'm saying. That, you know, hey, just that, all I'm saying is hey, right now, if I'm just I'm George Kittle, I, his friend. I know him. I've been around him a lot. He's been on my podcast. I like him. I would just want to tell him and be like, hey, part of the reason you're George Kittle is because you play for the 49ers and play for Kyle Shanahan, and he knows how to use you and make you a star too. So that's all I was saying. You know, don't price yourself out of a great situation. And, yeah, I, you know, listen, there's just a balance. It's just the way I think, at least as an ex-player. I don't know. I feel like you would too as an ex-player. I don't think you would always go for, again – I just always go back to like if I had $80 million in the bank or $75 million in the bank, I would go, okay, I think I'll be okay with 75. Let's get two or three extra guys on the team and and help us out. Not me, bro. It's five more million that goes to my kid, my grandkids, or their kids. That And it's value that I've generated. I want to be compensated for the value that I have generated. That would be my attitude. And I would be the Peyton Manning. I would be the pig at the trough. It's your job to balance the salary cap. It's my job to get paid and to play quarterback, especially now that you can go out with those draft picks and get cheap players, a lot cheaper than you could get them when when Peyton Manning was was playing quarterback. So uh, I, I, you know, I, again, um, it's easy for me to say that because I don't have to make those kinds. I know. Of decisions. Well, if you're Peyton Manning, what do you want? Would you would you would you like a little less money, or Everything. would you like another ring? How would you would you rather have another ring or a little like twenty million dollars less? What would you have done? You know, maybe he's sitting back there going now going, man, maybe I should have done some of that. I'm so sick of hearing Brady's better than me. Maybe I should have took a little less and, you know, we could have been better. I, I'm just, those are just food for thought. You know what, though? You know what, though? Yeah. When, when that's a regret that you can have when you are laying on a giant pile of money, <laughs> yeah. uh, right. it's really not that big of a problem. It's not that big All of right, a deal. We're going right. to continue the Chris Sims top 40 quarterback countdown with both number 32 and number 31. We're going to do that next right here on Pro Football Talk Live. All right, we're going to pull the sheet off of two members of the Chris Sims Top 40 Quarterback Countdown. At number 32, it's Case Keenum. He's on the left wearing number 17. At number 31, it's Nick Foles wearing number 5, although he would very much like to forget the year that he spent with the then St. Louis Rams. That was by far the nadir of his NFL career, but they are now back-to-back, 32 and 31 on the Chris Sims Top 40 Quarterback Countdown. Case Keenum, 32 down from 28. Look, I don't know where I'd put Keenum. Uh, 
but I believe in Case Keenum, and I right. think if the Browns need to use him this year, the Browns fans are going to be pleasantly surprised by Case Keenum because we saw him in Minnesota in 2017 have one of the best years that any Vikings quarterback has had since Fran Tarkenton and Randall Cunningham. Right. Well, you, you can win games with Case Keenum. I mean, you know, you know, the, I look at him kind of where I got him ranked as a, you know, low-end NFL starter or one of the best backups in football. You know, but certainly if he is your starter, you know, to what you saw, what you just talked about, you know, there's nothing like physically he can't do. You know, Case Keenum is one of those guys that falls in the class of like when he's your starting quarterback, you're always looking on the other on the other side of the fence. Is the grass greener? I think we could find somebody taller. I think we could find somebody a little faster. I think we can find somebody with a little stronger arm. You know, listen, he's not going to wow you or blow you out of the water with those type of things, but it's better than what people give him credit for. He is a good athlete. He can throw the ball on the move. The ball pops out of his hands at a more of a, a velocity than you would realize when you sit there and watch him in person. I know that's the one thing that jumped out to me. So he can make all the throws on the field. You know, can spin it, throw it with accuracy, understands how to play the position and take care of the football. So, yes, Case Keenum, Case Keenum I do think, was brought to Cleveland to kind of be a little bit of that hot poker uh, behind Baker Mayfield's butt to be like, hey, if you slip up or do stupid stuff, we got a guy here that can come in and we can win football games with. But I do think Keenum is underrated as far as his physical tools. And listen, he outplayed Dwayne Haskins last year in Washington as well. But we know they 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 drafted Haskins and he was the future and that's the direction they wanted to move on to. So uh, that's why I got Case Keenum number 32. Again, he's not going to be a guy that can carry your football team. But as we saw, he can play the position the right way, make enough plays to where you can win and go very far into the playoffs with him as your quarterback. What he did in 2017 that was so impressive, and I remember we talked about it on the show, he would get flushed out of the pocket and he would sometimes leave the pocket too quickly but he would use his mobility to go left most often and reset and look and see if someone was open. And then he sure. would sense the pressure coming again and he would keep moving and he would reset and he would do it until somebody was wide open. That happened over and over and over again in 2017 for Case Keenum. The Vikings decided to go in the direction of somebody who would throw more from the pocket, not try to get out of the pocket. And uh, when Kirk Cousins can't get out of the pocket. It makes it easier for him to throw from the pocket. He's got no other choice. But Keenum, very, very mobile. And, you know, right. a lot of that similarity, we've seen a lot of that in Baker Mayfield. There's that, that lateral mobility that maybe Keenum can help Mayfield hone. So he's at 32, down four spots. Nick Foles at 31, down 15 spots. Holy Mitchell Trubisky, bottom fell out, Batman. Nick Foles yeah. falls 15. Why did he fall so far, Chris? Well, well I mean, a Super you know, MVP. What's the world coming I know. to? Well, he had two years again. I mean, okay. Yeah. He wasn't the starting quarterback for that season in 2017 to win the Super Bowl. He came back the next year and was underwhelming as a starter in 2018. And then last year, Hey, I know he got injured early in the year. So that made things tough for him. But when he did come back and play, it wasn't like, Oh my gosh, you know, Hey, obviously, Jacksonville didn't think he was as good as the guy that they got there. So they moved on. So that's why Nick Foles, you know, again, another guy that, yes, you can obviously go deep into the playoffs, win a Super Bowl with. You know, that's where we're putting quarterbacks too much on a pedestal. You know, you've been hearing me say that for way too long. You know, he beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Oh, that's right. He didn't. The Eagles did. The rest of the football team. But Foles, okay, yeah, he's not like the superior athlete. Again, these guys that are in this class of ranking here at 31, 32, 
they're not the type of guys that can say, hey, team, get on my back. I know we're struggling. I'll carry you. No, but if you do give Nick Foles some support, like we saw in Philadelphia, man, he can make a lot of big-time throws in the pocket. That's the number one thing I'll say about Nick Foles. He plays big. He is big. And when people are around him, he is unaffected. He can throw 20-yard in cuts or 20-yard out cuts with people hanging on his shoulder or people about to hit him in the face. Think about the touchdown he threw against Kansas City to start the season last year when he broke his collarbone, took a huge shot to throw the ball down the field. So understands how to play the game that way. The big thing is, and why he hasn't stuck with the team, is he doesn't have that big-time talent for a lot of teams to go, oh, he's the starter, he's the future. But if you have an offensive line and a little bit of a system, he can certainly run that offense. He's very cool and calm under pressure. And he can make enough throws to win you some games, Mike. And he'll very rarely lose you games. So that's why Nick Foles is number 31. And, and his career has had such wild swings right? from Super Bowl MVP to the, the time with the Rams was as bad as it got for him, almost to the point where he decided to walk away from the sport altogether. Um, so when you consider this roller coaster that Nick Foles has had of an NFL career, you have to wonder why the Bears uh, were interested in bringing him on board. And on Friday, I asked Bears GM Ryan Pace that question. Why are they confident that they are going to get the good version of Nick Foles? Here's what Ryan Pace had to say. So we have about four coaches on our staff that have worked with Nick and coached Nick at different places, which I think is valuable because they've seen him at different stages of his career. I think that style of play you saw in, in, in Philly with Nick, um, and we saw it firsthand in the playoffs, um, I think is something that you, you could expect to see in Chicago. All right, Chris. Now, here's where we need to look. Not Philadelphia. We need to look to Kansas City because that's where Foles got to play some in 2016, and Matt Nagy was the offensive coordinator of the Chiefs. So we have a deja vu that takes us down that rabbit hole back to 2016, the day before Halloween. There's the Roger Goodell's evil twin brother in the background, and there is Nick <laughs> Foles in the foreground in his Jaguars uniform. He's worn a lot of different uniforms. There he is talking to Nagy. They both have the Chiefs colors on. Alex Smith got a concussion, and Nick Foles had to enter the game, Chris. Here it is, Kansas City up 3-0 in Indianapolis against Andrew Luck. That that looks a lot like Eagles 2017 with That's the play it. action and the deep throw down the field to Tyree Kill. Well, th this, is th this is what I was just talking about. This is what he does best. You know, play action pass, stand tall in the pocket. Oh, hey, there's people bearing down on me. It doesn't matter because he's so big. His hands are so big. His arms are so long. He could still throw a ball without getting all his power into it 40 and 50 yards down the field. But this is one of the greatest attributes he has. It's just his fearlessness in the pocket with people around him. It is jarring to see him throw to Tyree Kill. To see anyone right? but Patrick Mahomes throw to Tyree Kill. Same drive a couple of plays later. This is, you know, basic Eagles, Chiefs, Bears right. offense. Quick out to Demetrius Harris and uh, pick up some cheap yardage. Yep, stand in the pocket, get the ball out of his hands. Another accurate throw here out on the edge to the running back uh, to wear. But he can get the ball out of his hands quickly. You can see he processes information and it does not panic in the pocket. He wants to throw in the pocket. He does not want to run around and move. That's not his game. And bam, there it shows you what he can do. When you give him a clean pocket, he can make some big-time throws from there.
Yeah, and Travis Kelsey catches the touchdown in the end zone, draws the illegal hit, and it wasn't a hospital ball from Foles. That was just a bad, blatant hit, low helmet-to-helmet shot from the Colts' defensive back. But you're right, there he is in the pocket, sees his guy Kelsey spring open and gets the ball there with confidence and with authority, Chris. Yeah, that's right. You know, and again, yeah, this is not a quarterback. Like he's not like Mitch Trubisky in Chicago, where he's going to run around and you're going to do a whole lot of movement stuff. He's not going to scramble. What he is is more like Tom Brady in the pocket. Knows how to slide, moves effortlessly, throws the ball. I mean, keeps the keeps the ball in a throwing position, and you know, delivered a strike right there. Chiefs up 10 in the third quarter in Indianapolis against Andrew Luck and the Colts, and Nick Foles still getting it done. Look, simple, you know, almost the simulated running play. The little short swing pass gets the ball out, quick decision, and keeps it going. Yeah, and, you know, this is a guy that's got a real good arm. It's not a great arm. It's like NFL average as far as a starting quarterback, but he does have an aggressive frame of mind. He's not looking to, like, throw lasers all over the field. He'll take what the defense gives him. But if something's downfield, he's not afraid to put it up there. And the thing is, you set the offense up with these shorter plays, or the defense, excuse me. Here's another one, a little quick screen to Tyree Kill. He didn't get sprung for big yardage, but it's just the timing. It's the rhythm. It's that offense. It, and it, and it's, it's the easy completions that you talk about all the time. It builds confidence, so when you get to a moment like this, you're ready to make the throw. Yeah, that's right. Now it's second and nine. You go, okay, I'm in good rhythm. Coach got me a few completions, and there you go. That's what I mean. There's the throw we're just talking about. Like, you don't go, whoa, look at that laser, but you go, man, the guy's got plenty, of, plenty enough arm to throw the ball down the field, outside the numbers, whatever it is, and he does it with ease. And this one's a thing of beauty because watch this closely. The corner playing short zone looks in the backfield and right. freezes his feet, and the safety gets frozen by that very subtle, that very subtle look to the middle of the field before he throws it out left to Tyreek Hill and the safety is not going to get over there and close the ground on Tyreek Hill. So, hey, if that's the falls we get in Chicago, Bears fans will be very happy. And that they yes. saw that falls in the playoff game. That's the one thing people lose sight of and they're saying, oh, why the hell do they want Nick Foles? Nick Foles went in there and knocked off a 12-4 and team. Now the double doink right. contributed to it, but Foles put the Eagles in position to upset the Bears in their own building in the playoffs. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. They got firsthand experience of it. you know. And, and again, I think this is a team that looks like, hey, they added some tight ends to their football team. They're talking about running the ball more. They want to play a more physical brand of football. And I think Nick Foles will fit that. You know, I think that's what Jacksonville intended to do with him last year there. And, of course, the Eagles did that, you know, back in 2017 and even in the 2018. Big offensive line, run the ball a little bit, and let Nick Foles, hey, we'll get him some short passes, but he'll take his shots down the field. The thing I love about him more than anything, and what we even saw in those clips there, is just he's, he's unflappable. He's very calm and poised. How many times do we see him in the pocket there just – Okay, that guy's not open. Oh, pump fake. Oh, pump fake. Oh, bam. Then he throws a nice ball down the sidelines or whatever it may be. You know, those are the things that he's got an advantage over at Trubisky. Sees the field better, and he's a more consistent, accurate thrower of the football on a play-by-play -play basis. It's not even close. Nick Foles is not going to leave slam dunk NFL completions out there on the field. Mitchell Trubisky will. And that's going to be the big part of that competition. Now, Trubisky's going to be able to bring a little more to the table with his running and things like that, but will be enough to overcome, I think, the disparity in which I think Nick Foles is a better thrower than Trubisky, 
I don't think so. That's why I think Nick Foles will be the starter in Chicago come September. Yeah, I agree with you. And look, if somehow, some way, this circumstance wakes up Mitchell Trubisky and gets the most out of him, it's a good problem for the Bears to have. And Nick Foles would be an excellent backup, an excellent teammate. We've seen it before, and he'd be ready to go. If Trubisky gets hurt at some point, Foles enters the game. And all due respect to Chase Daniel, I think the Bears offense would be in better hands with Nick Foles running it, especially given his experience with Matt Nagy and uh, and his success when we've seen the best of Nick Foles and maybe we would see sure. that if Trubisky gets injured, if Trubisky wins the job. But I'm with you. I think Foles is going to win it. All right. Up next, you're going to hear Ryan Pace weigh in on the 4th and 15 onside kick alternative that even though it was tabled is still a very real possibility for the NFL. And then Melvin Gordon had some harsh words for Chargers fans and those words inspired today's PFT Live draft. That's all coming up next right here on Pro Football Talk Live. What's your position on whether or not that fourth and 15 play should be available? And I guess my understanding is it would be twice per game per team to use that if they so choose. Yeah, I wasn't surprised, Mike, when it got tabled. You could tell just the feeling around the league that everybody was split on this one. Everybody was having a hard time with it. I'm, I'm typically normally kind of a traditionalist when it comes to these things, but with this one, it, it's intriguing. Uh, I like the excitement of it. I think we always got to be looking at ways to develop our game and enhance our game. So this is one of those ones that I think when, when you first hear it, uh, being a little bit more traditional, I said, I don't know, but the more you dug into it, uh, it's very interesting, it's exciting, um, and it's it's something that I, that I think we'd be interested in seeing go through, but I understand why I got tabled. I know there'll be a lot more discussion on it as we go forward. See, sometimes when things get tabled, they they just kind of go away and never come back. Do you think this is something that will resurface next year? I definitely do, because I think there's a lot of strong opinions on it. And uh, just talking to other GMs and head, head coaches around the league, I think this is something that's intriguing. Again, it adds a lot of excitement to our game. Um, I think it was a good idea. Um, this is something I think I think we just need a little more time to discuss it, make sure everybody gets comfortable with it, because it is a little outside the box. Um, but, but I think it's definitely going to be something that's going to circle back around. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. We didn't have fans. 
anyway. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Charger fans. They're not going to like yeah. Okay. Yeah, we didn't have many Charger fans. I'm just being honest. We didn't have many Charger fans at the game. You know, much loyalty, you love. But we ain't had many. So I'm not missing anything. So okay. I ain't really. I ain't oh, really missing that much. That's former Chargers, now Broncos, running back Melvin Gordon talking to Marcus Cromartie. And I talked to Melvin Gordon at the Super Bowl back when he still thought there was maybe a chance he would stay with the Chargers. He was so happy that they were getting out of that 30,000-seat soccer stadium that was 80%-plus fans of the visiting team. So given the possibility that games will be played this year without fans, today's draft, the teams that need fans to be in the stands the most Chris you have the trivia question well I have it you're going to get the chance to get it wrong the Raiders have a seating capacity of 53,000 in Oakland the Chargers famously had 30,000 at their temporary soccer stadium now that both teams have moved which team has the lowest seating capacity in its home stadium this is far from this is far from what Keller is blue your favorite trivia so so we're talking about in the whole NFL, who has the lowest capacity in the stadium? That's what we're talking now about. That, now that 53,000 is out and the 30,000 right. is out, what is the lowest capacity? I'm going to have to go with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Surprisingly, you're wrong. It is the wow. Chicago Bears, Soldier Field, 61,000. You know, when they when they redid that thing like 20 years ago, there was some, like the big wall of suites. I think it took out a lot of the seats. So 61,000. I, I am Field throwing D. the challenge flag on that. I don't know if I believe that. I mean, Jacksonville has been tarping off all those seats and all that. There, there it's a big is stadium. No I, it's a big I, stadium. I, 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 it's Pete? not that big. Hey, I've been there before. It ain't that big. I've been there. Pete? It ain't that big. Check it out. <laughs> Check it out. Meanwhile, yes. I'm taking the first pick. Unless Pete Go tells ahead. me that it's wrong, I'm taking the first pick now. I'm going to start with the Seattle Seahawks. 67,000 in Jacksonville, is by that the way, before Sims, so. 60s, Is that before they tarp it off, though? I don't know about that. I think he's 67, wrong about that. 67,000. That's the official answer. 67,000. All right. I'm going with the Seahawks. The, the, they've retired the 12 number for the fans you take away the fans you're taking away part of the fabric of the organization that stadium has been designed to take any and all sound and amplify it and direct it to the field I remember being out there when the Seahawks hosted the first game of the season against the Packers 2014 and somebody was like had a power washer it sounded like a, a jet engine that's how that's how that, that stadium has been engineered to maximize sound. You take the fans out of that stadium, and it's a very different experience for the Seattle Seahawks eight times this year when they play their home games. So for me, it's clearly number one by far the Seahawks. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, especially in this day and age where their defense isn't as good either. So that defense needs all the help it can get with that fan and crowd noise and uh, it's a great advantage. And, you know, I'm going with a similar thought there. I am. I'm going to go with the the uh, Kansas City Chiefs for the same reason, really. You know, again, one of the great – we know they got Patrick Mahomes and the offensive weapons, and they're scary and all that, but that doesn't matter when they're at home. I mean, the fans are quiet when they're on the field. Their defense needs the help. It is a great advantage dealing – uh, or for that defense to have opposing offenses deal with that crowd noise, not a not the ability to communicate to the line of scrimmage. You know, really, more times than not, teams go into Kansas City 
with a dumbed-down game plan to a degree, too, because they go, oh, we're not going to be able to orchestrate all the things that we usually do at the line of scrimmage and make it happen in that crowd noise. So it's a huge advantage, especially for a team that's built on offense and outscoring you, you know, to have that crowd then to go, oh, okay, hey, our offense is up by 14 points. Now the defense, we can be loud and, and affect the pass rush and do all that. It's a huge advantage. It's one of the toughest places to play. So Kansas City is my choice. By the way, Chris, your assessment of the placement of the tarps over the stadium in Jacksonville, reducing the capacity below 67,500, that is entirely correct. Here's what's I know incorrect. It is. They, removed, they removed the tarps three years ago. So, so it's it's now sixty seven five again. So if we had done this three years ago, you'd have been right. Now okay. you are, right. as usual, incorrect. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Saints here, and I know that the Saints have changed the narrative in recent years that they can only win at home, and if you take them out of the dome, they can't function. They perform very well on the road, but that Superdome, uh, it's as loud as any venue. And again, it gives your defense that edge. It makes it harder for the offense. It takes away the split second where the offensive linemen know that the snap is coming. And that split second can be all the difference in the world between stopping the defensive end and having him run right by you. So uh, without question, the Saints need to have those fans in that Superdome as they try. They've been, they've been kicking on the door for the last three years. As they try to kick it open, they need to have the fans in an open stadium uh, or uh, it's going to be a lot harder for them to do what they're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, of course that is. It's it's one of the loudest places I ever played, and it's a pain in the butt to go down there for all the same reasons we have talked about, certainly. Now, I will say, I think the cast of characters that Sean Payton has accumulated down there in New Orleans, I don't think they're going to have any issues getting up for games, that's for sure. they got a bunch of psychos down there in a good way, I mean that. So I like that aspect of it, certainly. And they're so professional. Um I think the next team I'm going to go to is Chicago Bears. Yeah, I mean, the Chicago Bears, you know, I, I tend to, to favor uh, in this draft a lot of teams that, have, that are built around their defense. And, yes, the Chicago Bears we know are built around their defense. I mean, hey, we're having a quarterback competition there in Chicago this year. So how confident in the offense can we really be? They got to win games with their defense. And one of the things that helps out, you know, oh, Robert Quinn and – you know, Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman and that group is that loud Chicago fan base. And that stadium, as we've seen being there, it's one of the most impressive stadiums in football, in my opinion. And it is so close to the field. It's like you can almost smell the beer breath on the Chicago Bears fans. I mean, that's how close it is. So that is they are a huge advantage when they grow that grass long in Chicago and slow down those fast offenses. And then that defense gets going, and those fans just feed off of that blue-collar mentality. Uh, that's special. So I, I do think they're a team specifically this year that really needs the crowd noise to help their team, especially early part of the year, maybe get over the hump a few times. We talked about this last week. I brought it up with Big Cat on Friday. He's a Chicago guy. The city, the vibe, the stadium, everything. It's it is all set up for that Bears team year in and year out to be great. And and one of the things that's kept them from consistent greatness, they just and, and we 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 kind of had a little fun at Big Cat's expense on Friday showing plays from all of the quarterbacks since Jim McMahon. The, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the revolving door. I saw that. It's, it's, I saw it's horrible. It, yeah. <laughs> horrible what they've gone through. And if they can get the quarterback situation settled, uh that franchise will take off. 
Um, but uh, you're right. They could use to have the uh, having the fans there because it's it's almost like a Pittsburgh vibe. It's that same mentality. Right. Um, right. And the city is ready. The city is hungry. The city is dying to have a team that isn't just good once every four or five years, but they can string it together multiple years in a row. All right. I'm torn on this one. It's easy to go with the Vikings because they they play in that dome and the the sound makes a difference. But, oh. but here, here's one. I'm gonna. They can still blow the horn if fans aren't there. <laughs> I am going to throw a curveball at you, and I'm going to say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because of the anticipation of what's to come this year. Not in comparison to past years because the place has been a ghost town for the most part for the past 10 or 15 years, but because of what they're expecting this year, because of all the tickets they're selling, because of the excitement that this team is bringing to Tampa Bay, if for some reason they have to play those games without fans – it's going to take a lot of steam out of that franchise. And one thing I know about being at those Patriots games to start the season after they win a Super Bowl, Tom Brady feeds off of the energy of the crowd. You take that crowd out of there, it's going to be a little harder for him to get that engine roaring. Now he'll still find a way to do it, but they're expecting so much excitement in that stadium this year that if all of a sudden nobody's there, it really is going to be a challenge for the Buccaneers to be what people expect them to be, Chris. Yeah, well, it certainly will take away from the energy of what we expect that team to be. And Gronk and Brady do seem like players that feed off the crowd, you know. And yeah, I mean, hey, I I, I love I want to see Brady yeah fire that crowd up, do what he always does. I want to see if he could throw a ball up to the pirate ship like I did back in the day, set off the cannons, do all that. Uh, but into I, I the do. cannon I, hole, right? Isn't into that, the isn't cannon that what you hole. Claim? You actually well, threw the football into the cannon hole. That's what they tell me. That's that's the old fable, as they say. But uh, either way, uh, I hear you. And that's probably the, the stadium and scene we're most excited to see this year is Tampa with all the new cast of characters and the excitement down there. All right. Oddly enough, I'm going to Brady's old team. I'm going to New England. Normally, I wouldn't say this about a Bill Belichick team. I feel like they could play anywhere. They could play in a church, a basketball court, whatever it may be. They're professionals. They're always ready. But this year, I think crowd noise will be important for a quarterback who's taking over for one of the greatest players in the history of the sport. Yeah, we know the spotlight's going to be on Jared Stidham. There's expectations. There's pressure. Well, hey, in New England, they got a great defense. They won a lot of games with their defense last year. So in a year where the great Tom Brady's gone, you got a new quarterback. Man, do you need the crowd this year to help out your football team, help out your young quarterback, you know, and help out the young quarterback in, in helping out the defense by being loud and making it hard for opposing offenses to where, hey, early in the year, you know, hey, they're going to have to lean on that defense and crowd noise and do things like that. It's not going to be like, you know, Tom Brady in 2014 and Jared Stidham's just going to come out there and throw lasers and be in surgical. There'll probably be a few bumps in the road, but I think that New England one, they're a team that needs fans this year just to help out that young quarterback and play through that defense, especially early in the year. Here's why I disagree with you. I think those fans are going to turn restless quickly if there are struggles. I don't think you I, – I, I think there's a chance the way things unfold this year that it may be beneficial to not have fans there because those – and you've said it all the time. The, the fans treat the regular season as the preseason – the playoffs as the regular season, and the Super Bowl is all that really matters. This is a team uh, that, that has spoiled its fan base, and if they if they go south, uh, it's gonna it's gonna be ugly, and you're gonna hear the boo birds in New England. Maybe it's better to have no one there. If no one's there, no one can boo if they don't live up to what they've been in past years. All right, uh, let's take a quick break. 
When we return, Peter King has a new Football Morning in America column, and he's got a list that definitely will get people riled up. We'll tell you about that, and then we'll wrap up Monday's PFT Live right after that. We'll be back with more after this. Peter King's Football Morning in America this week has, uh, for starters, a discussion of the serious events that are happening in the country and the intersection between that and the NFL. But then he gets into his offseason power rankings. You can check out the full column at profootballtalk.com. He has some surprises in there. But you know what? Last year, one of his surprises was the San Francisco 49ers, and they made good on Peter King's offseason belief in them. So check that out. And we'll reminisce about Super Bowl number 13. Lucky 13 for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Unlucky for Jackie Smith and the Cowboys when PFT Live continues right after this. All right, we got to go. But before we exit, we have to tell you tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, NBCSN. Get back here. Just leave the channel on all day long. Steelers-Cowboys, Super Bowl 13. Chris, this thing, I remember watching it vividly. It was the best Super Bowl. I had suffered through some crap, boring Super Bowls. This one was the first one that was riveting start to finish. Yeah, I mean, it's one that's worth the watch. I mean, Hall of Famers all over the place. You're right. And this is like one of the greatest Super Bowls ever. I'm going to be tuned in watching tonight. Tune in tomorrow morning and check us out. Everybody have a great Monday. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.